you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, as we continue on in our series through the book of Philippians on the topic of joy. And this morning we're going to look at how to have spiritual joy by conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ amidst suffering. How to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ amidst suffering. And so we're going to look at a few verses today of Paul writing from Roman imprisonment, his first imprisonment, uh, and he's suffering, but he's redeeming the time, and he hasn't stolen his joy, his circumstances. So let's stand together, and we'll read God's word together. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30. Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together. Lord, these words uh, by Paul, written in, in solitary confinement, yet they cross time and space to speak to our entire planet right now. Conflict, suffering, conduct worthy of the gospel, striving side by side, standing firm. Lord, we can all see these themes being uh, sought after in our world. And yet in the church, Lord, we know that through Christ, you have a specific way we are to, to live that out. And we pray that we would do that in a matter worthy of what you have called us to and who you have called us to. So help us, Lord, to be sanctified towards those ends this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. Thank you. Spiritual joy in conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ amidst suffering. And um, I, I think it's important to recognize that suffering is part of life. Every one of us, you know, people talk to me and they say, man, your family has gone through so much suffering over the past 10 years, Pastor Chris. And I tell them, yeah, you know, that's, that's true. Uh, the past 10 years, I've, I've seen the most suffering I have in my own personal life. But I also say to people that uh, everyone's going to go through suffering. The only question is, is it your season for that? We all take turns. No one escapes unscathed from suffering in life. It's just a matter of when is it intensified, to what degree, and is it that season in your life? Uh, we know suffering has happened to all of us. COVID, death, stress. We've under, been under extreme mental and physical suffering. So many of us in our society, as well as many of us here at the church, we obviously see that in the war in Ukraine. Um, people dying, suffering, and um, and we want you to know this morning that amidst 
all of our suffering, God cares. He cares about you. He sees your suffering. And he will not leave you in your season of suffering. In fact, if you rely upon him, if you don't turn your back from him, God will deliver you from the worst of it. It doesn't mean you won't go through suffering. It doesn't mean there's not consequences, but he will be with you and he will strengthen you. He will give you the grace to endure and even to prevail through it. So God cares. And so there is this sense that we all kind of live in this reality of suffering in life. Specifically, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a specific type of suffering that you undergo in addition to the wider macro framework of suffering in life. And so followers of Jesus Christ suffer spiritually, specifically, in a way that the world does not. If you choose to follow Jesus Christ as your learned Savior, you're going to suffer. If you choose to live a holy life, set apart from the world, not conforming to the pattern of thinking of the world, but instead living for the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, you will suffer spiritually. If you choose to go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer. There's the enemy. There's the world. There's your flesh that is at war against you. And their whole goal is to inflict suffering upon you. Um, certainly we know that in Ukraine right now, there are many believers that are suffering. I was just listening to a sermon by John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur. He was speaking at a church uh, uh, that are friends of ours over at Evergreen in uh, San Gabriel Valley last week. And uh, I was listening to part of his sermon. And he said, he began his sermon saying that uh, throughout his ministry, that uh, their seminary has sent out missionaries to Ukraine. He's been there to the Soviet Union probably like 10 times, I think he said. But he said over the past several decades that uh, through the efforts of their their ministry and seminary that they've trained about a 1,000 pastors in Ukraine. And many of those pastors chose to stay and they're suffering right now with their people because they chose to follow Jesus Christ, to live a holy life and to make disciples. You're going to suffer as a Christian, in a way that is different than normal suffering in the world. The good news, we all know the bad news about suffering. But the good news of suffering is this. Spiritually, when you suffer for the Lord, there's many redeeming good things that come out of suffering for the Lord. The Bible talks about how uh, we are sanctified through suffering. How he who has suffered is done with sin, Peter writes. Suffering also prunes us. It also prunes the church. Uh, we know from the parable of uh, the soils that when suffering comes, many people leave. But it actually clarifies who is truly in the kingdom and who is not. So suffering produces a pruning work so that uh, the church can be more fruitful. We know that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that... Uh, he, was, he suffered. He had a thorn in the flesh. God allowed this into his life. Satan sent a, mes- a messenger of Satan, came into life. And we're not really sure what that was. Was it a thorn in his health? Was that a demon? Was that a, a kind of a false brother that was tormenting him? We don't really know exactly what that was. 
But we know that Paul suffered and we know that God said to him, because he says this in 2 Corinthians, that God's grace will be made perfect in Paul's weakness. And so suffering has another aspect of helping us to depend upon God. And lastly, suffering, the good that can come out of it, is that it moves us to community with the body of Christ. It moves us to seek help from the body of Christ. And that's good for us. That is very, very good for us. Especially in America, we tend to be lone rangers. We tend to be very individualistic. And one of the things that draws people back into community with the church is when they go through a time of trial, temptation, testing, and suffering. And they realize, you know what, I, I, the world doesn't offer me what I need. I can't do it on my own. I need to go back to God's people. And they find spiritual strength in that and goodness. Have you come to that place? I would guess that many of the people in our church are actually part of our church because you underwent a time of suffering and trial that caused you to think deeply about the importance of God and God's people in your life. That can be a very good thing. So today we're going to look at spiritual suffering by conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ amidst suffering. And this is important for at least two big reasons. Number one, this is important, this topic of suffering and conducting yourself in a manner worthy, because number one, we live in a time right now, not just of the Ukraine war, where there's all this suffering and all the fear that is out there of the cascading effects of what could or could not happen, but we live in a time that is post-Christian here in the West. It is not just post-Christian, actually. It is anti-Christian. Don't fool yourself. God placed you. Acts 17 says that God has determined the times and the boundaries and the places that all men should live. God has placed you in this specific time, in this specific place. And you're going to suffer as a Christian in this context. It's a hostile context. For faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And so it is in your best interest to uh, seek out ways to maintain your spiritual joy amidst the suffering, not just life suffering that's normal, but the spiritual suffering that's happening and will continue to increase here in America most likely. So that's important, number one, to focus on this topic. And number two, it is important because as you suffer in general, just in general, life's normal, everyday events that go wrong, go awry, that move you to, to tears and stress and anxiety, that move you, bring you to your knees, normal life suffering, you want to conduct yourself in a manner worthy, just among life's normal so health diagnosis, losing your job, finances having a, a terrible encounter with evil people, whatever that might be. And conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel amidst normal suffering will strengthen you and it will also strengthen others that see your example. The body of Christ needs you. And so for today, we're going to look at about four verses as we continue on in Philippians 1. Uh, Paul is in his first Roman imprisonment. Um, and he says, as he writes the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon during this 
two-year imprisonment. He says in verse 27, kind of the theme for these four verses. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or in absent, I may hear that you, re- that you are standing firm, etc. Let's take the first part of that. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would Paul say this? Why would it be necessary for him to say to the Philippians, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, they were suffering. You know, Paul and Silas, they were beaten while they were there. Ten years earlier, planting the church in Acts 16. Uh, We have to assume that there's persecution. Many of them probably were imprisoned or shunned by their families at minimum. And we know that Paul was suffering as well. If you skip down to verse 29 and 30, this gives us the answer of why Paul says in verse 27 that we should conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In verse 29 and 30, he says, it has been granted to you. You is not the singular. You is actually the plural, like they use in the South. Hey, y'all. You know, they're talking in the plural. It has been granted to you, you Philippians, that for the sake of Christ, that you Philippians should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Verse 30, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul was suffering, the Philippians were suffering. God had given them grace. He had granted them not just the faith to believe, he says in verse 29, but he had actually granted them uh, suffering for his sake. Whoa. We like to think of God's grace as, God, give me grace for what I need. God, give me grace to forgive me. But how often do we think of God granting us, giving us grace to suffer for the sake of Christ? How often do we think that God's grace also extends to us that we would be involved in conflict with the world, conflict with the satanic forces in the spiritual realms? And uh, not just us, but other believers. This is the grace of God. I hate to break it to you, but it is the truth. Grace works both ways. It's all good. But we kind of just see one side of it is good, oftentimes. No, God's grace also extends to us to allow us and to cause us to suffer for Christ. That is important. Because knowing that there is a purpose to your suffering... It's not just some random thing, evolution, everything kind of just happens, or there's God, some distant God who doesn't care. And, and we tend to think, oh, if suffering happens, God doesn't love us. The truth of the matter is God, verse 29, has granted us for the sake of Christ to suffer. You signed up to be a Christian, you signed up to suffer for Christ. There's no other way around it. And he says in verse 30, he's, he's in, they're engaged in the same conflict. What conflict are they talking about? Paul knew conflict. He's writing. He's chained to a Roman guard. Doesn't smell good. Doesn't look good. Probably doesn't feel the best physically. In fact, we know this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, years earlier, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he said this about his conflict. 
the, uh, the effects of conflict uh, that it had on Paul. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul had received almost 200 lashes. If you were to look at Paul's back, you would have seen um, close to 200 scars on his back. So when he says he's engaged in this conflict, he would have had the proof. 2 Corinthians 11, it says that he was beaten three times with rods. He was stoned, shipwrecked, in danger from robbers and false brethren. He knew what it was, he said, to go hungry, thirsty, to be cold, to be homeless. And so when Paul says he knows of conflict, he knows of conflict. Jesus said something very similar. He said in John 15, verse 18, if, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Jesus said, it hated me. And if, it, if, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you for your faith. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, I want you to turn there with me. Peter talks about suffering in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. And Peter's writing to the diaspora Christians throughout the empire, and he's talking a lot about suffering in this epistle. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, listen to the words of Peter. He says, for this is a gracious thing, so God's grace involved in suffering. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Called to what? Called not just to Christ, but called to suffer for Christ. Called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Paul is writing to the Philippian church. He's saying, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you know what? You're going to suffer. You're going to have conflict because of your faith. And I think that when we hear about suffering and when we think about conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, there's kind of this, uh, this continuum. I'll go this way. Like this continuum that we think about suffering. I want to kind of paint a or draw us a quick picture of what the continuum of suffering looks like as we read the Bible, as we think about Ukraine, as we think about our own lives, as we think about the church. And I think this is just a big picture way of looking at it. In this continuum of suffering, you have sort of at the top of the range, Jesus and the apostles. And we look at how Jesus and the apostles suffered And we say they are the standard of suffering. Jesus on the cross, the apostles being martyred, suffering, being persecuted. They're the standard. And you kind of put them at this upper echelon on the continuum of suffering. And then we can maybe take a step lower than them. And just to make it extremely relevant to today, we think of um, maybe the Ukrainian Christians. Yeah, a lot, the Ukrainians are suffering, period. But you think about the Ukrainian Christians who chose to stay, these thousands or so pastors out there, these Christians that are ministering to those who are suffering, who are in danger for their life. 
and we look and, and, and who are going to be persecuted for their faith, whether they witness to these Russian soldiers or not, uh, there is satanic work that is going on in Eastern Europe right now and in Russia. And don't think that these Christians are not going to be targeted. And so we kind of put them on this a little bit lower level than Jesus and the apostles. And we say, man, I look at those guys, these believers in Ukraine, even the believers in Russia, right, who are on the streets, marching, getting thrown into these gulags or prisons or whatever it is, and whatever happens to them there, who knows. And we say, they're inspiring to me. I, I stand with them. I support them. And I'm proud to be part of a church, like Norm said, I didn't even know the amount, where uh, we gave away 50% of our offering last week. It was $3,000 that we gave away to the Far East Broadcasting Company that has uh, satellites in Russia, in Ukraine, uh, ministering to them through the radio, as well as China, as well as to, to uh, Samaritan's Purse that's helping with the refugee situation, which I heard how many, you know, it's like 1.5 million refugees, I think, right now. I, you know, probably more since our service started. So we look at them, and then maybe after Jesus and the apostles, the Ukrainian Christians, then there's this other tier where we think about some of the Chinese believers that are part of our church. You know, they're here in America, but some of the people that uh, we're ministering to or, or uh, doing some translation for them, they've been persecuted. Their family, uh, China, has come after their family, knowing that they're Christians, knowing that they're ministering the gospel. And so we kind of look at them and say, you know, um, they're, they're, they're persecuted in some way that we don't quite uh, experience or yet. And then you come to us, kind of underneath all that. And you say, well, how am I being persecuted for my faith? How am I suffering for my faith? And that's a very good question. How are you suffering for your faith? You need to be suffering for your faith. You can't get around this. There is no getting around the Old and New Testament, the role of suffering for a person's faith. We have had it too easy for too long here in America. And what we've done, I hate to say it, it is absolutely true, is we've raised, I was going to say a generation, actually it's multiple generations that actually believe that the Christian faith the goal of the Christian faith is to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That's the goal of the Christian faith. We've raised generations thinking that. We've raised generations in, in the church to think that, well, you know, um, the goal of the Christian faith is to live life and live it to the full. And anything less than that, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my faith? Nothing could be further from the truth. You could make a pretty strong case to say, that one of the top experiences of being a Christian is suffering for your faith. How are you suffering for your faith? If you're not suffering, and I'm not talking about your health stuff, you know, just in general, but if you're not looking at your faith, you know what, I'm, I'm doing things in a way, I'm living, setting, living a life that's set apart from the world in such a way, I'm like actually taking risks and sharing my faith in such a way, I'm like sacrificing for these people who are desperately in need and it's causing me financial or whatever other kind of suffering because I'm doing it for the Lord. If you're not involved in some of that, then you got to ask yourself, what am I doing with my faith? 
And so it should come as no surprise when suffering comes. It ain't fun when you're going through it. We're human. We complain when we go through it. I'm the same as you. But I can look back. No doubt in my mind over the past specifically four years and say I suffered greatly for the gospel in ways that I I don't have time to go into right now. And it wasn't fun, but it proved and reminded me, you know, my faith is real. Because if I, there are certain decisions that I made. If I hadn't done it for the gospel, I wouldn't have suffered. But I did, and I'd do it again. Suffering is important. And then lastly, you have kind of Jesus and the apostles. You have Ukrainian believers. You have, you know, some of the Chinese uh, believers that are part of our church. You have us. And then you have these, this bottom rung of false teachers that will tell you that suffering should not be part of the Christian faith, and you want to stay away from those people. Conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, having joy amidst our suffering, how do we do that? Paul goes on to give two main ways that we can conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's look at verse 27. First part. Uh, Actually, the second part of verse 27. He says, that I may hear, whether I'm here or, or absent or here, he says, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, that you have one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There it is. Number one, to have to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel during suffering, we need to stand firm. We need to strive side by side for the faith. Stand firm in one spirit and one mind and strive side by side for the faith. When Paul says we are to stand firm, kind of has this positive and negative definition. Standing firm in verse 27 means stand firm for God, but stand firm against Satan. Stand firm for the truth, but stand firm against the lie. Stand firm for righteousness, but stand against sin. And he says we're to stand firm, and he has this idea of a, of a soldier kind of standing your ground for your faith. Do you see your faith like a soldier? You're a soldier. He says, one mind with one mind and one, one spirit and one mind. This is what he said in Philippians chapter 2. He said, if you have any encouragement of Christ, any, any love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, Philippians 2, then make my joy complete by being of one mind, one spirit, one purpose. He said in Philippians 4, he actually, we don't even know who these women are. Uh, Iodia and Sintaichi. What a name for a woman, Sintaichi, right? Maybe it was like the popular name back in those days. But he says in Philippians 4, encourage Philippian church, Iodia, Iodia and Sintaichi, two women who are believers, to get along in the Lord. So Paul was saying to conduct yourselves by having unity in your church. One spirit, one mind. And he says that we are to strive side by side 
We are to strive side by side in the faith. We are to do this together. We do this together. You cannot do your Christian faith on your own. You know, I was here this morning, and, you know, I always love when whoever is leading worship, Nate, Kyle, Garen, you know, Kevin, uh, John, and, and anyone else who's up here, right? Um, but when John was up here, what I really appreciate about John is he always, whether it's here or at Cerritos, leads with joy. There's a smile on this guy's face. He's energetic. And it's not just, you know, he's a professional musician. That obviously helps. Uh, but when he leads worship, there's a joy to him. And I was sitting there, and I was going, you know, that is uplifting to me. I got up out of my chair. I was like, I was ready to go. Why? It's not because I don't got suffering in my life. It's because I'm now in community with other believers, and I see his joy and it becomes infectious to me. Now, you may be sitting there going, you know what? If I see another Christian have joy, I'm so down. I'm like, get away from me. You're like this like banging gong. I just want to be in my misery, okay? And sometimes it's like that. I get that. But you know what? There's a lot of times when you need to be part of striving side by side with other Christians. Why? It's because their joy becomes infectious to you. And it uplifts you. You know, Paul, as he's talking about standing firm, he's talking about striving side by side. This is exactly what he was talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 2, when he said, we are soldiers. We are athletes. We are farmers. We are soldiers who compete. I'm sorry, we are soldiers who suffer. We are athletes who compete to win the prize. We work hard as farmers. That's three metaphors, soldier, athlete, farmer, to describe the Christian faith. That's who we are. We strive side by side as soldiers, athletes, and farmers. You know, um, this is really challenging, right? Striving, standing firm in the Christian faith. How many Christians do you know where when their life was going well, they were the most joyous Christians? They were there. They were, they were part of the church. But then when hardship came, when suffering came into their life, it's like crickets. Echo? echo. Hello? Are you there? And they bail. We have to see ourselves like soldiers, like athletes, like farmers. We have to strive side by side. We have to stand firm in our faith. Those Ukrainians cannot be the most inspirational people on the planet, as inspirational as they are. Christians should be the most inspirational on the planet. Zelensky, that guy's got courage. I got to tell you, he had mad, mad respect for this guy. Okay, but you know what? You as a Christian should garner more respect than the leader of Ukraine. Why? It's because the way you strive, the way you stand up for your faith, the courage that you demonstrate for the Lord is the most noblest thing that you can be part of. You know what? 
you guys work hard. You strive. You're willing to suffer for things in life that you want. Just like me. You're willing to strive hard, work hard for the things that you care about. What do you care about that you're willing to strive, work hard for? How hard do you work at school, schoolwork? How hard do you work at uh, the training that you're going through to get that job? How hard did you work for that? How hard did you, do you work at, at, at mastering an instrument, whether that be piano or playing a game of chess? How hard do you work to shuttle your kids around to their various activities? You work hard. You know what that's like to strive. You know that it's like to stand firm and make commitments and keep them. You have deadlines because these are the things you care about. And I'm the same way. But you know what? I'll tell you a secret. What impresses the Lord is not none of that. There's, there's this terrible movement in the church today that says, you know, just work hard, succeed in your career. That's to the glory of God. There is some truth to that at some level. But you know what? The, the Bible, the Lord, the church, the testimony of church history is way more on you striving and standing firm for the things of God for the ministry that you're part of in the church. What if you took the same work ethic that you take to your job, to your hobby, to your schooling, and you then applied that work ethic to the ministry that God has entrusted you with? You applied that striving, that standing firm to the work of the kingdom. What would the church look like I think it'd be amazing. I mean, we're a great church. Don't get me wrong. I love you guys, and we're a great church. But um, I think that's a come-to-Jesus moment. I really think we have to ask ourselves, who is getting the cream of the crop? Who is getting my best effort? Is it the world, or is it the kingdom of God? And what if I applied the same striving, the same ethic, the same commitment to my work in the kingdom and my ministry? What would that look like? And so the first way we can conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel is to stand firm, to not capitulate to the world, to strive hard, and to do it side by side with others in the faith. We make time for the things that are personally important to us. Let's say that together, okay? Repeat after me. We make time. Louder. We make time. Do this. For the things that are personally important to us. It's true. I'm the same way. So let's make time for the right things, you guys. Step two. We conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, not just by standing firm and striving side by side, but number two in verse 28. Paul says, We are not frightened in anything by our opponents. We're not frightened by anything by our opponents. Be a Christian means you're going to have fear. Um, You're going to have opponents. 
And that can be from as practical a situation as you being in a conversation with a group of friends and the issue of human identity, of marriage, of how people associate themselves with what gender comes up. And what are you going to say in those circumstances? Or not say. There's fear. We don't want to be persecuted. Maybe give God's perspective on that. There's, you're going to be in situations where uh, you will be asked to compromise your faith. And you'll have to say no or just kind of go along with what the crowd is doing. And you might have to stand alone for your faith. Uh, but there's going to be fear there. Um, you're going to have opponents in your, in your faith. And so how do you deal with that? The world will just tell you, just don't be afraid. I've heard this phrase, it, it goes like this. Courage is not the absence of fear, it is the absence of self. Courage is not the absence of fear, it is the absence of self. I look at the Ukrainian situation and I can say, yeah, you know, that, that's a general saying. I, I could see applies. These Ukrainians are not saying they don't have fear. But they're willing to give their lives for their country, for what they believe is right. There's an absence of self that gives them courage amidst their fear. There's some general truth to that statement. But actually, I think biblically, it's a little bit different. Is that courage is not the absence of fear. What courage is, is is a focus on Christ. Courage is a focus on Christ. Courage is a focus on the fruitful labor that God has given to you. Courage is going forward amidst your fear when, for the progress and joy of the faith of the Philippians. This is what Paul is saying to us in Philippians chapter 1. He says in verse 21, earlier on, and this is part of what gave him courage to not be afraid of his opponents. In verse 21, he says, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul had every reason to be afraid, but he focused on Christ. And he said, Christ has given me life for me to live as Christ. And even if I die, I'm going to be with Christ. He dealt with this fear by focusing on Christ. Verse 22, he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Paul dealt with his fear for his opponents, not by just focusing on Christ. He focused on the fruitful labor that was happening in his ministry. He said, you know what? Um, I'm here in this prison, but you know what? I can look back at how I've spent all these years. Yeah, there's been fruitful labor in what I've been part of. I can think back to Berea, Thessalonica. I can think back to, to Philippi. To Athens, I can, Iconium, Lystra, Ephesus. I can think back to all these places. And there was fruitful labor. See, one of the reasons, way you deal with fear is you say, I have been a part of the Lord's work and there's been fruit. And if the Lord wants me to continue on with that, so be it, great. But if he doesn't and this is the end, then at least I've been part of something that mattered for eternity. 
And thirdly, you deal with fear the same way Paul did in verse 23. He said, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart with Christ. That is far better. Um, but verse 24, sorry. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Focus on verse 25. I will remain with you, continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. The third way you deal with fear is you say, uh, amidst my fear, I'm here for the progress and joy of the faith of others. It's important that I'm here. Do you think it's important that you're here? Do you think that you continuing on for a couple more weeks, a few months, a few more years, do you think that other believers will progress in their faith, enjoy in their faith because of your presence in their life? You should be able to say yes to that. Because if you can, then you're going to be able to face fear from your opponents. Because you're saying, you know what? Get out of my way. I, I, there is too much that the Lord has for me. There are people that God is using me for in the past and in the future for their progress and joy in the faith. My opponents, you make, stand aside and make, way, make the way straight for the Lord. So I've got things to do. And here's the outcome. Verse to close for today. In verse 28, there's two outcomes, Paul says. He says, number one, this is, there will be a clear sign to your opponents of their destruction. And number two, but of your salvation from God. When you conduct yourself in a matter worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you're not frightened by your opponents, you say, you know what? We're just going to go forward. Let chips fall where they may. Two things happen, Paul says here. He says, your opponents are the ones who have fear because they realize you're not afraid of them because you have your God with you. And they start to, to cower to understand that it is, this is a sign because you're not afraid of them of their own destruction. Destruction here does not mean that, you know, uh, their business is going to go down or, you know, their car is going to... Destruction here means in an eternal sense. It means that God is for his people. It means that those who oppose God's people as unbelievers will face destruction in the final judgment. They will be destroyed in hell. Not annihilated, but go through enduring eternal judgment and punishment in the flames of hell. And that will instill fear in the opponents of the gospel. Maybe they'll get them to back down. And secondly, he says in verse 28, the second good thing is that um, it will remind us of our salvation from God. It will remind us of our salvation from God. When you suffer for the Lord, when you stand up for the Lord, one of the graces God gives to you is he reminds you, yeah, I belong to my father. Yeah, I have crossed over from the dark kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of the sun. Yeah, 
my life is about the right things, the eternal things. You can go out into your world. You can make beautiful art. You can save people at a hospital. You can educate kids. You can, those are all good things, okay? But in the end, is your life going to be about bringing salvation to others? About bringing the joy of the Lord to others? Those are the things that will matter eternally. That's why you should be here at this church. That's why you should be at any good church, to be honest. Life is hard enough. Life will beat you down. You're going to face your opponents and you're going to suffer. But what the church offers to you is the opportunity to take your life and to suffer for the right things, to suffer for the right person. What the church offers you is the ability through the grace of God to maintain and hold on to your spiritual joy amidst the suffering in the world and the suffering specifically for the kingdom. And so we will strive side by side and we will stand firm. That's why you should be here at this church. And that's why you should be part of the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. This morning, Lord, as we've come together in this beautiful day, there are dark clouds throughout our world and even in this city. And we, uh, we're not naive. We know that we will suffer as Christians. And it may not be at the hands of a, of a Russian rifle, but it will certainly, uh, we will certainly have other weapons of warfare part, part, pointed in our direction from the dark kingdom, from a world that is energized by Satan, even from the war that is going on in our flesh. Lord, help your people to prevail. Help us to maintain our joy. Help us to stand firm, to strive side by side, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have no doubt you will do that, Lord, because the same grace you gave to us to believe is the same grace that you will give to us to suffer for the sake of Christ. And your people will not be afraid of your, our opponents, but we will emerge uh, victorious. And so we hold on to that joy, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.